everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite species of animals and we review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we do a lot of research and try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy sources. We do. I do actually have a follow-up to our last episode that you and I did together. Okay. So last time you and I did an episode together, you talked about the aardvark. Yes. So we got a response on Twitter from Max Waugh, who is an absolutely spectacular wildlife photographer who I've been following for quite some time. Awesome. Yeah. So Max said, can't believe we got aardvarks so soon after the echidnas, because we did just do the echidna episode as well. And Max said, my biggest surprise when seeing one, like a real life in-person aardvark, how big it was, because we, we mentioned that, that they're bigger than you think, the chonky claws that are a weird shape for a digging animal, and get this, the hairy nostrils oh, for filtering dust. That makes sense. Right? Uh, so he included some um, photos that he took of aardvarks, very, very cute photos of aardvarks digging around in the dirt. I'm constantly being justified in my aesthetics rating for the aardvark. Right? It's so cute. Um, So I just thought that was so cute that Max followed up with us about uh, some real life aardvark experience. Fantastic. I didn't know about the hairy nostrils. I guess those are for filtering dust out while they're breathing. That's the excuse I'm going to use. For your hairy nostrils? (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll put my tweezers away then. (laughs) Oh, you know what I would like to say? What's that? I would like to say thank you to everybody who has so warmly received us into the Maximum Fun Network. This is our first time recording together since publicly launching on the network. And everyone has been really nice to us and had a lot of really sweet things to say. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a fun adventure so far. It really has. So can't wait to see where else it takes us. It's very exciting. For sure. Thank you, everyone, for being nice to me. I really (laughs) like that. Big fan of that. (laughs) So this week is our Halloween episode, because Halloween is this week. Is it? Yes. I guess it is. (laughs) (laughs) That snuck up on me. Yeah, I know. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we put out the call on social media for people to request their favorite spooky animals. And we got some really, really good ones. Mm -hmm. So we handpicked a couple of our favorites. And these are our spooky picks for you. And we've done this before. We have. Yeah. We'll get repeat requests sometimes. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> last year, no, it wasn't last year. It was year before last. Um, we did the spooky episode where we talked about, I did the vampire squid and you did the black widow spider. Oh yeah. That was a fun one. That was really fun. So we're doing a spooky, spooktacular again this year. Coming back. So Christian, you're up first. Yep. So my spooky animal friend is the painted bat. Scientific name, Carivula picta. This is a good one. Yes. You think Halloween, you immediately think bats, right? This is like the, yeah, the it's right, icon. It's right up there with like black cats and jack-o'-lanterns and candy corn. You know, the classic imagery of Halloween. These are the ones you're going to find in assorted cookie cutter shapes. Yes. Maybe not this one specifically, but bats in general. Yeah. So this species was submitted by Tyler Cran via Twitter. Thank you, Tyler. Yes. And a couple of information sources on this one. First of all is Animal Diversity Web. A returning champion. Yes. As well as the Thai National Parks and finally National Geographic. Great sources. 
stellar lineup. So first, I just kind of want to describe what this bat looks Please like. Please do. Their name and why we chose them is because of their coloration. It's so festive. Yes. So their body hair is light orange and the wings are orange and black. And when you say orange, this is like a poppin' orange. Yeah. This I would is, say pumpkin orange. Yeah. A lot of animals have this orange color to them. It's kind of like a tawny brownish. Mm-hmm. This is orange orange. Yeah. <laughs> and specifically when we're talking about the wings, the arms and fingers are orange, whereas the membrane is black. It's such a cool effect, isn't it? Yeah. It's like they're glowing almost. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And, so cool. And this, this bat has big pointy ears and a medium long snout with pointy teeth and beady eyes. Mm. Yeah. Pointy teeth and beady eyes. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> this is so on theme. Now, here's what surprised me first and foremost with this little guy is how big they are. Okay. Or how not big they are, I should oh. say. <laughs> Their average weight is four and a half grams oh. or 0.16 ounces. That's not very many grams. Put that in perspective, the U.S. nickel or the five cent <laughs> coin weighs five grams. <laughs> it's so teeny. It is small. How long are they? The head and body length is 31 to 57 millimeters, which is one to two inches. <gasps> They're so small. Yes. And of course, their wingspan is larger than that, but still. Sure. <laughs> oh, that's really... I'm looking... That's like the size of like, what, one or two segments of your finger? Yeah. So if you look up pictures of these guys, you'll f- often find them being held by you know a researcher or something. And the size comparison to a human's hands, you can see that. Maybe like the length of like thumb, thumb length, maybe. They don't look too small when their wings are fully spread out. But when you kind of focus on the body itself, Mm -hmm. it's pretty small. Oh, it's just a teeny beanie. (laughs) And these bats can be found in Southeast Asia in Bangladesh, Brunei, Burma or Myanmar, Cambodia, China, India, Indonesia, Malaysia, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Thailand and Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Got a little bit of a range down there. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're found in arid woodlands in places like tree hollows and trunks, leaves, and buildings. They like these up high places. Yes. And they belong to the taxonomic family Vespertilionidae. That's a cool name. Yes. So that family is a family of microbats known as the Vesperbats. Vesper. Yes. That's a really cool name. That comes from, I believe, the Latin term for evening. For evening? Yes. Oh, I was thinking it sounds like the word for wasp, like Mm -hmm. Vespa, I think, means wasp. And this family is known for eating insects and relying on echolocation. Love this. Yes. This is great. This is actually the first time we've talked about such a bat, which is absolutely (laughs) ridiculous that we've gone this long without talking about a micro bat. Yeah. So I was going to mention we had previously talked about the flying fox, Mm -hmm. which is part of the mega bat. Yeah. I almost said macro bat. (laughs) (laughs) Gigabat. (laughs) Yeah. We We already made that joke. Lots of jokes there. (laughs) I've heard that they don't use those titles anymore. Micro bat and mega bat. Yeah. They're they're pretty large classifications anyway. Right. That's kind of like not a super (laughs) specific term. But yeah, the only other bat we've talked about was like the biggest bat, right? Right. Like the big, big chunky boy. And (laughs) then now we're... Now we're talking about a little teeny beanie. Very small. 
Hey, bat nerds. I wanted to briefly expand on this just a little bit. So historically, bats were divided into two basic groups. Megabats, which are large bats which eat fruit, and microbats, which are small bats that eat insects. So if you're just describing the bat morphologically, you can probably get away with still using those terms. But more recent evidence suggests that the big bats are actually more closely related to some of the little bats than some of the other little bats are. So the most up-to-date way to to classify the bats taxonomically is in two main groups. Yangochiroptera, which includes most of the microbats, like the painted bat and vampire bats, and Yinterochiroptera, which includes the megabats, but also throws in some of their teeny cousins, like the bumblebee bat. All right, back to it. So to start us off with our first category of effectiveness, mm-hmm. which describes physical attributes... I'm giving the painted bat a 9 out of 10. That's so good. It is very good. For a little guy. They're very, uh, what's the word? Not concentrated, but... Specialized? Specialized. Okay. <laughs> Min-maxed a little bit, maybe? Yeah. So first, of course, if you're not familiar with bats, they're the only mammal that can fly. And like fly, fly, right? Yes. Like not just not glide. just glide or, you know, uh, fancy falling. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy falling. <laughs> but actually fly. So like they can actually get lift, right? Like yes. they can get some actual oomph, not just falling with style. Right. Although how they get to flying is different from okay. other flying animals. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> And the next thing I want to talk about, though, was their diet of insects, as I mentioned earlier, which is a common trait across their family. They primarily feed on insects, whereas, you know, the megabats, a lot of them eat fruit, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some other bats will eat or, I guess, drink blood. from Very few. Yes, not very many. I'm pretty sure it's just the vampire bat. Well, but it's funny that, like, people only think of vampire bats when they think of bats. And yeah. it's like that represents such a tiny little sliver of the bat world, right? Or like there's like over a thousand species of bat. Yeah, but, you know, it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the, the association with vampires mm-hmm. and media with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, my next effectiveness point is echolocation and a bug pouch. Bug pouch? Yes. So I came across an article titled Echolocation Sounds of the Painted Bat Caravula picta, Vespertilionidae. Oof. Gets me every time. And these are by authors Kendula Raghuram and Thiruchentil Nathan. Three authors there. Okay. So they use their echolocation in flight as well as at rest. And their frequencies are suited for detecting prey in cluttered environments. So like a wooded area where you'll find these. So I just want to talk a little bit about echolocation. Please do. you, You haven't heard of it before. So they'll emit a high frequency sound from their mouth. And those sound waves will hit something and bounce back to them, which they will hear with their ears. And then that kind of information gives them an idea of distance, direction, and size. Right. Based on, like, the intensity of the sound Mm -hmm. bouncing back at them. Right. Um, So very useful. Yeah. Especially in low-light conditions. (laughs) And it's not something humans can hear. It's, like, outside of the range of human hearing. I've definitely heard bats before. I don't know if that's their echolocation, though. Right. You can hear them kind of making a little screeching sound. But I think that the frequencies they're using for echolocation are, like... So high, we can't hear them. Yeah, probably. And then the second point I brought up is this large interfemoral membrane, which is the membrane between their legs and tail. 
and, and bats, that usually helps them steer, but in them, it helps them do something else. Oh, boy. And I'm going to bring it up in Ingenuity. Oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> I, I had a real hard time figuring where to put this. It sounds like a rudder almost. Right. In, in, that, in that way, it is. Okay. So I'll come back to that Ingenuity. Okay. My interest is peaked. <laughs> Good. My next effectiveness topic is their large ears, of course, which is to help them with echolocation. Mm-hmm. Their, their ears are pretty large relative to the rest of their face. It's so cute. Yeah. It makes them really <laughs> cute. They got these giant ears. Whereas with the bats that don't use echolocation, like the flying fox, the ears are not as big. Right. Relative. But their eyes are bigger. Right. They're focusing more on vision. They're more visual because they're not necessarily hunting bugs. Correct. And here's something that surprised me again was the coloration is thought to maybe have to do with camouflage. How so? Because right? this is a high con. It looks almost like the vests that hunters wear in the woods sure. specifically to be more visible. <laughs> but, but let me go back to that description of the coloration. So the arms and fingers of their wings are orange, whereas the membrane is black. Right. So this creates areas of high contrast, right? Very high contrast. That's similar to something else, isn't it? Leaves? Yes. Okay. So this helps them camouflage in dried leaves and plants and such. Oh, all right. And in some ways, is a little bit related to how tiger's camouflage works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. So it kind of like breaks up the silhouette, right? Yes. Like, so you can't necessarily see what exactly it is. Right. Although in the tiger's case, the orange color also had to do, right, you, you talked about this, with that their prey doesn't can't see that color very well. Right. It, it looks indistinguishable from the green around it. Right. To their prey. Yeah. To us, we can, <laughs> like, all right, I see you. <laughs> You're right there. <laughs> yeah. Because that goes back to how many cones they have, right? Yeah. Whereas their prey have two, humans have three. Yeah. How do we keep winding up here? <laughs> it's an interesting topic. <laughs> I feel like if I ever went into biology, I would probably go into that. Like vision? Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Like light dynamics mm-hmm. and stuff. That stuff is wild. And then my final effect on this point has to do with hanging upside down. Oh, yeah, they do this. (laughs) Yeah. So this thing all bats do when they're roosting, they're just hanging upside down from a branch, from, you know, an overhang on a building, anything, whatever they're on. And here's the probable why. Okay. So they thought that is they started doing this because it makes it easier to fall into flight. Oh, I see. I've never thought about this before. Gotta get some air first, Right. Right. Okay. So they have to drop and that lets them, you know, kind of spread their wings and get that lift going. Mm-hmm, like a parachute sort right. of. But what, what that also means is they cannot take flight from ground level. Oh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one negative point I'm taking from effectiveness. Sure. Because if they find themselves on the ground for whatever reason. Game over. I mean, they have to climb in some way. Sure. Which they have little nubs with what would be analogous to thumbs, I believe, mm-hmm. on their wings. Yeah, bats are not bad climbers. Right. Um, it's just that they've kind of completely given up on any sort of ground mobility whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, they can do it, but they're exposed, right? Right. <laughs> You're kind of in the danger zone down right. there on the ground. So, yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that before. Like, I guess, like, you, you never see video of a, of a bat doing otherwise, right? Where it can't just flap itself from a neutral position like right that. they can't like generate like a bird right 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 yeah. like they can't like generate their own lift from like a standstill right so yeah that wraps up effectiveness our second category of ingenuity which has to do with um these could be smart things tool use tactics that sort of thing i'm giving a seven out of ten that's pretty good now i only have one point here okay that's coming back to that one i mentioned earlier. yes please 
the bug pouch. Bug. <laughs> this is just a delightful little phrase, bug pouch. I wish I had a bug pouch. <laughs> so their method of hunting is known as being an aerial hawker. Okay. Which means they catch their prey, insects, mid-flight. So they're using that large interfemoral membrane as a net. Okay. So they're, Snag they're, them right up. They're using that little net back there to catch the, the bug and then eat them later. Oh, like a butterfly net. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like the little bug catcher trainers from the Pokemon games that are running around with their nets. <laughs> so they're, they're using this echolocation to, you know, identify the prey in flight, trying to separate it from everything else going on in their environment, and then using this membrane to catch them. That makes way more sense than I guess what I was assuming they were doing, which mm-hmm. was just like flying around with their mouths open and hoping something would That's fall how into I assumed it. as well. Oh, maybe they do both, like as a hedge your bets type thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> might as well be safe. Yeah. But then how do they get it from the bug pouch into their mouth? Because it's like way down there by their tail, right? I assume they just kind of bend down and yeah. munch on it. I guess it's not a problem. <laughs> it's It's probably easier to do that having already caught the thing. Yeah. But what if the bug's still alive and it's just oh, it's for sure still alive. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you got to hope it's not the kind of bug that can um, sting or bite you while it's in your bug pouch. That kind of opens you up to some potential of some problems there. Oh, the membrane is pretty thin, so it might go straight through. Don't worry about the toxin. That doesn't sound great. (laughs) But anyway, that brings us to the final category of aesthetics. Pretty self-explanatory. Talk about how cute they are and such. It sounds adorable. (laughs) Uh, That's why I'm giving a full 10 out of 10. It's so cute. The colors, they're very small. And the big ears, I like them. Some people don't love the face of a small bat. Like the fruit bats have that sort of puppy dog face going for them. That's true. And then the smaller bats typically have more of a pug sort of face, you know, where they're all scrunched up. Yeah. I will say, you know, it's not the cutest like the flying fox, but it's... It could be a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> I know you see some like leaf-nosed bats and hammerhead the, bats. Oh, that and... <laughs> one. That one always freaks me out. Because there's that one image on the internet that floats around where it's like a particular angle and a particular bat that looks like they took like a dog moose and photoshopped <laughs> it onto this bat. <laughs> yeah, I think you're the hammerhead bat. Yeah. It's really bad. It's not cute at all. Throws me every time. Yeah. And then last kind of thoughts about the painted bat. Their conservation status is least concern. Uh, they're kind of hard to find, but they have a very large kind of range as, Sounds we, as like we talked it. about. Yeah, sure. I'd be really excited if I ever got to see one. Yeah. And then like other insect eating bats, they're thought to help with insect population control. So particularly helpful to humans when considering insects that eat crops or spread disease. Good friends to have around. Yes. You want to have your bat buddies. For sure. We have, um bats in our area we live in florida and we do have bats here i don't know what kind of bats they are i'm assuming they're just little brown bats flying around have you ever seen like bats or like wild bats around here i actually have a very fond memory from my childhood oh yeah yeah where my dad would take my brother and i out to like a park or something at nighttime and he brought like aluminum foil what yeah (laughs) so the way it worked you would ball up this aluminum foil and then toss it up into the night sky and bats would go for it. No, that sounds really mean. <laughs> that sounds mean. Well, you got to see bats. Okay. But, but at what cost? You're harassing the bats. Uh, I mean. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I'm happy for you that you had that experience, but uh, don't don't bother bats, please. <laughs> 
I have some nice memories of um, there was a tree outside of the dorm that I lived in at UNF that I remember one evening walking back into my dorm. It was really late. So it was really dark. And as I was coming into the building, I heard some sort of like a rustling and I turned around and looked and this tree right outside of the building just burst with bats. Oh boy. Like there was just a whole, it must've been at least a hundred bats that were flying out of this tree and they were just like a, like a cloud lifting out of this tree and all flying into the sky. It was mm. beautiful. And it was really quiet, actually. Like you mentioned being able to hear bats. I didn't hear them. I just saw them other than like them moving the tree from leaving it. Right. It, that was a really cool thing, though. Seeing that a bunch of cool. bats fly out of the tree. It was really cool. We love our bat friends. Yes. Bats are nice to have around. They're good buddies. That's why I really like the aesthetic of Halloween, because there's lots of great bat merch out and about. Mm-hmm. And like... If you really like bats, this is a great time to get your year-round <laughs> merch. Uh, you get it now and then just use it year-round. Yeah. It's always a good time for bats. Like Batman. Exactly like Batman, yes. <laughs> year-round bat merch. Good job, Christian. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Let's take a quick moment to hear some promos from our other friends on the MaxFun Network. Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. <gasps> well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, <laughs> you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Hey friends, before we move on to our next spooky animal friend, I wanted to say a final heartfelt thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. You have shown us so much love and support over the last couple of years, and we are so thankful for you. Thank you to Sophie Ann, The Mad Scientist Podcast, Paul Chomo, Vikram Palika, Dalton Weeks, Bren Everfolly, Christina Sanders, Sarah Peterson, Julie Gilson, April Kamik, Jacob Schick, and Randall Beeman. Moving forward, anyone who would like to support our show along with the other great shows on the Maximum Fun Network can do so with a membership for as little as $5 per month at MaximumFun.org slash join. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the episode. What do you have this week, Ellen? This week I have the Dracula parrot. Ooh. <laughs> a theme. <It's> very spooky. <laughs> Uh, but this parrot does go by many names. Dracula is only one of them. The coolest one, I imagine. It is the coolest okay. one, yes. <laughs> um, other names for this parrot include the Vulturine parrot, which is also pretty cool. Not yeah. as cool as Dracula, but 
It's pretty cool. Is it the Voltron parrot? Voltron? No, Vulturine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like similar to a vulture. <laughs> yeah, this parrot actually uh, joins up with a bunch of other parrots and makes a one giant parrot that fights evil aliens. That's sick. <laughs> no, Vulturine parrot. Um, and also known as Pesquet's parrot. Okay. That's P-E-S-Q-U-E-T. It's okay. a French name, Pesquet's person. Scientific name is Citricus fulgidus, fulgidus, perhaps. The species was requested by Claire Spiller in our Facebook group. Thank you, Claire. Yes, thank you. I'm getting my information from the World Parrot Trust, which can be found at parrot.org, and other sources that I will cite as they come up. Because I kind of have a hodgepodge sure. of information to go over. So, the Dracula parrot as I'm going to call it, for the vibe of this episode, mm-hmm. since we're trying to stay on the sort of spooky Halloween theme. Yep. They are pretty big for a parrot. They're 18 inches long, or 46 centimeters. It's, like, pretty big for a parrot. Sure. Now, the reason why they call it a Dracula parrot is because it is mostly pitch black, and it has a bright red underbelly. And then, like, the front sort of upper part of their wings is also bright red. It looks like Dracula's cape, right? How it's, like, mostly black but has this sort of, like, red underneath. Yeah. Has that sort of, like, classic, iconic villain look to it. Love it. It's really great. These parrots are endemic to forests in the mountains of New Guinea. Oh, okay. So, if you're not familiar with New Guinea, it is a very large island to the northeast of Australia, and these parrots can only be found there. That's what endemic means. Endemic meaning that they are not only native to there, but they're only found there. Nowhere else in the world. So, we've talked about this region before, haven't we? Sure, yeah, many times. Lots of really cool animals that live there. This is only one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So, these parrots belong to the taxonomic order Citisiformes. Citisiformes, the parrots. <laughs> I'm really struggling with this word because it's, it's it has a silent P in it that's really throwing me off. That's fun. Yeah, it starts with the letter P, but you don't pronounce it. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's really throwing me for a loop here. There are about 400 species of parrot. And of those 400 species, 46 of them live in New Guinea. So New Guinea is just a hotspot for bird biodiversity. There's so many beautiful birds that live mm. there. Not just birds, like there's this a huge biodiversity hotspot. Lots of animals live there. Yeah. This parrot is the only one of its genus, so it's kind of unique. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of doing its own thing, but it does belong to the same family as things like lorikeets and parakeets, which we call them parakeets here in the USA, but they're also called budrigars or budgies. Oh, yeah. Elsewhere in the world. Like yeah. in Bluey. Like in Bluey, yeah. <laughs> we call them budgies in Bluey. So we call them parakeets. So a little bit on that name, Pesquet's parrot. So who exactly Pesquet was is actually not really known. Oh. Um, it's kind of a mystery. The French ornithologist René Lusson, who came up with this name, cited a Monsieur Pesquet as uh, the person who gave him the specimen of the bird. Oh. Yeah. But who that Monsieur Pesquet was, complete mystery. Just like. Be- some regular person that happened upon it. Just like he's not really like 
sighted anywhere else. Huh. So it's not really clear who this person was that gave him this bird. Um, so this is just one example of what's called an eponymous name. Mm-hmm. So this is a name that is named after a real person, mm-hmm. but there's no actual person that the name can be definitively traced to, hmm. right? So it's kind of like a dangling name, right? <laughs> like the bird still has the name, but who the name belongs to has kind of been lost to time, which I think is kind of ghostly. It's like the name of the person is still here lingering long after the person's been forgotten. <laughs> you know, like the their name is still haunting this bird. This is a job for a Ouija board. (laughs) Happy Halloween. (laughs) I wanted to mention that because there is an ongoing campaign called Bird Names for Birds. Have you ever heard of this? No. So this is a campaign to change eponymous names for birds to names that actually describe the bird rather than honoring a specific person. Okay. Lots of the people whose names have been given to these animals had very sordid pasts and led the sort of lives that we don't necessarily need to be honoring in perpetuity. (laughs) You know what I mean? So these were people who didn't exactly lead morally exemplary lives. And so there's kind of a push now to shift towards the name being more about the animal than about this person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so an argument against that like change is usually oh well it's preserving history and it's like you know remembering this person but then you've got parrots like this where the person it was named after nobody has any clue who that person is right (laughs) like there's no history being preserved there because that person's memory is gone like there's no story there on the other hand, it's a complete wild card as to what kind of person is being preserved. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, it's a it's a very interesting campaign. And so if you're if you're interested in that, look up bird names for birds. It's pretty cool. So yeah, that kind of wraps things up for my sort of preliminary information on this parrot. That mm-hmm. was a little bit of a rabbit hole, but it's okay. That's quite the name tag it has. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into ratings for this bird. For effectiveness, I'm giving it an eight out of ten. Okay. Since this parrot, like many other parrots, mostly eats soft, pulpy fruit, eats figs. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever eaten a fig, a fig has sort of like a tough skin around the outside. Can't you never eaten have. a fig? The closest I've gotten is fig newtons, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have eaten a fig, though I was a little kid, so I don't remember it very well. Um, but they have like a tough sort of skin on the outside, and then the fruit inside is soft. Okay. But so since this bird eats, you know, fruit... It has a totally bald face. So its face has no feathers on it all Mm. the way up until like behind its eyes. Mm. And it gives it that face that looks a lot like a vulture. Right. Right. It's like bald, dark, wrinkly skin. And it's thought to help keep the bird's face from getting sticky with fruit gunk. Hmm. Which is very similar to the reason why vultures have bald faces, because vultures are picking at dead meat, right? So they're picking at carrion, and they're getting blood and guts and stuff all over their face. So when they have a bald face, it keeps that stuff from getting stuck to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where the vulturine name comes from, Okay, is that they have a bald face that looks like a vulture, and it's also for a similar reason, just kind of took a page out of the vulture's book. So okay. I think that's pretty cool. That's interesting. Cause like if you were to observe this bird and not know that already about its diet, you might assume it would be a meat eating bird. 
Right. Yeah. It and also with its sort of sinister looking aesthetic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you might think it had yeah. something to do with that. <laughs> um but no, it's just eating fruit. But the the bald face helps keep them from getting fruit gunk stuck to their face. So an identifying trait of parrots in general is that like hook shaped beak. Oh right. Right? Right. Um it's like really, really sharp and curved. This is something interesting I learned about parrot beaks. Their beaks are not actually fused to the skull at the base of the beak, like you might expect. They're actually attached by this sort of hinge that connects all the way back sort of close to their eyes. And it's like a long sort of, almost like an arm sort of, that the beak is attached at. And this lets the parrot actually move the beak separately from the rest of their head. Hmm. So have you ever seen a parrot being offered a treat? Yes. So you offer a parrot a treat, and when it takes the treat, it reaches with its beak. Have you seen this happen? Yeah. You know how like the whole beak sort of moves forward? Yeah, now that I think about it. Right. Like I'd never really thought about it, but I think I'd (laughs) I'd always seen them do this, but I never really thought about it. So that's that's because the beak is not fully like attached to the skull where you might expect it to be. Um, so they can move the whole beak without moving the whole head, huh. which is really interesting because it's thought that that lets them get more bite force. That being able to like move the beak separately from their entire head allows them to put more pressure on closing their beak. Okay. Which is important for them because they need to like break through tough stuff, right? A lot of parrots need to break through like nuts and seeds. Yeah, it's kind of depending on that shearing force and not like a chewing or that kind of motion. Yeah, it's more like, um, I almost want to say a guillotine almost. Sure, you know, yeah, like yeah. It's, that's almost the sort of motion. It also kind of gives them quite a bit of dexterity with their beak, you know, mm. they can do some really interesting stuff with their beak. So despite its sort of vampiric name and vulturine appearance, the bird, this parrot, you know, feeds on neither blood nor bones. It's just eating fruit. Um, (laughs) Like it's really, really specialized to eat these types of figs that you'll find in New Guinea. So it, it will like sometimes eat flowers and nectar and stuff, but mostly it likes to eat these figs. That being said, if you are looking for a parrot with a bloodlust, oh, yeah. we have talked about a parrot in the past. Look a little bit farther south, look in New Zealand, and check out the Kia, which <laughs> Christian covered way, 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 way back in our episode number 17. That is a truly punk rock death metal parrot (laughs) um that i almost feel like they should have had this look right like the kia is the one that should have had this like black and red vulture look to it you know i don't think i had thought about that word suet until just right now (laughs) since then (laughs) you never have cause to right like you never need to think about suet and i hope i never need to again Oh, yeah. So I was talking about parrots' beaks um, and how they have this sort of like dexterity with their beak. Parrots even use their beak almost like a third foot when they're climbing. Oh, yeah. Have you seen parrots climbing around? Yeah. So when they're climbing, you know, they'll kind of scoot with their feet, but they'll also use the beak to like get up to a higher place Mm -hmm. or even just kind of like exploratory. They'll kind of like, it kind of looks like they're testing for like, firmer points of the branch or something. So Mm -hmm. they use their beak in some really, really interesting ways. Parrots are so cool. I think I've seen this in birds that are like in a cage that will do that when trying to climb up the vertical surface. Like Right. Yeah. It lets them get to like some spots you'd be pretty surprised that they could reach. Um, They're really, really good at climbing for that reason. 
Uh, next category for the Dracula parrot, ingenuity. I'm giving them an 8 out of 10, and this is purely speculation. These birds are pretty challenging to observe. They are found only, you know, in treetops, in forests, in the mountains, right? So they're a little bit difficult to observe in the wild, and they're also really difficult to keep in captivity because hmm. they're so highly specialized for living in the area that they live in. So their diet is really hard to replicate like accurately. So not very many zoos have them. Mm -mm. So like their behavior is not super commonly studied, but I still have to give them a high score because parrots in general are known for this like incredible intelligence, right? Particularly African gray parrots are usually like the poster child for like animal intelligence, right? right. They're said to have the cognitive abilities of like, a human four or five year old. So I have to give a parrot like a high ingenuity score, even though I don't have a lot else to go on. It's like a baseline. Right. Like they've got to start off high. Mm -hmm. So just by virtue of being a parrot, parrots are <laughs> just incredibly smart. So I have to do that. So unlike the African gray or some other more popular parrots like macaws, this parrot does not seem to mimic speech or sounds you know like you this is a common thing people associate with parrots is like mimicry right um that doesn't seem to be something this parrot is really interested in i don't know if it's a capability thing or if it's just that they don't bother doing that because <laughs> why why mm -hmm. but they do make calls to each other they communicate verbally with each other including a harsh raspy screaming call that i think anybody familiar with parrots would instantly recognize as the noise of a parrot. <laughs> Anybody who has like lived or worked closely with parrots is like, I know exactly what that sounds like. Is it a spooky sound? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have been in proximity to parrots and I've heard this like raspy parrot call. And if you don't know what it is, it's horrifying. Mm. Like if you don't know that there's a parrot nearby and you hear a parrot screaming, yeah, absolutely. You'd pee yourself. It's so <laughs> scary if you don't know what it is. <laughs> so yes, it's very spooky. Happy Halloween. These parrots seasonally migrate within the island. So they're mm -hmm. following where the figs that they like to eat are like in season, mm. right? So they'll like rotate around the island to keep up with their fruit, basically. And they nest in hollow trees, laying two eggs at a time. And so in January of this year, a baby Dracula parrot was bred and hatched at Prague Zoo. Oh. Yes. So I read this in an article from Zooborns, which like documents like baby animals being born in zoos all over the world. And this article explains that while most parrots just nest in a tree that's already been hollowed out, this parrot actually prefers to hollow out the tree themselves. Hmm. Yeah. So they use their sharp beaks to kind of excavate the inside of a tree and like make their nest in there. So these conditions had to be replicated in the zoo in order to, like, get them to initiate nesting. Oh. Yeah. So the bird curator at Prague Zoo, Antonin Vidal, described the process saying, and this is a quote, he says, we prepared a trunk for them and stuffed the cavity with shavings. <laughs> 
They bit through the entrance hole and removed the shavings from the cavity, evoking this nesting adaptation. So they basically like had to do it themselves, right? Like they couldn't have (laughs) a, they wouldn't be given a nest. They had to make it their own. No, I want to do it. Let me do it. (laughs) (laughs) We have a, we have a baby. So we are very familiar with the let me do it phenomenon. (laughs) I thought that was really cute. Mm -hmm. Unlike Dracula, they do not prefer living alone. They prefer to hang out in mated pairs or with larger flocks. Okay. So you're not likely to see one just hanging out by itself. It's probably going to be in a group of up to 20. All right. Yeah. So it's a social bird. This is really common for parrots. Parrots like to... They like to group up. They don't like... They're not isolated sort of animals. Parrots Mm -hmm. tend to like living in flocks. Finally, for aesthetics, I give the Dracula parrot a full 10 out of 10. How could you not? I didn't mention this earlier, but they have like a longer face than most parrots do. Hmm. Um, It's sort of an elongated profile and it's sort of slender. They look like they have kind of a small head for a parrot. It's very goth. It's incredibly goth. They have like the, (laughs) it's the black and the bright red, high contrasting, you know, very punk rock. So they have the black and the bright red and then the wrinkled vulture face. Like it's, it's giving Sith Lord, I think it's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> looks very much like you know like a darth vader sort of like darth sure. maul aesthetic maybe and then like the wrinkled face is kind of like a little bit palpatine a little bit i gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it is now i will say the baby dracula parrot because i did see pictures of the baby parrot in the zooborns article and i like looked up a little video of it mm-hmm. not cute at all one I, out of ten i think that's a bird thing in general it so recently i talked to ivan phillipson who we talked about the common loon Mm -hmm. and he explained that you know with birds with baby birds they tend to be either altricial or precocial we've talked about these words before right where like an altricial bird is a bird that heavily relies on its parents to take care of it right like an altricial baby is one that like you got to take care of it. You got to feed it. You got to, you know, like it can't really get up and walk around on its own. It's like human babies are altricial. And then precocial babies are babies that are kind of born ready to go. Right. So think about like a giraffe or a Mm -hmm. horse or something, you know, like they're born ready to get up and walk around. And what Ivan explained was that like the altricial babies tend to be the ugly ones. So like parrots, for example, like they're born not being able to really do anything yeah. on their own. But then you've got like precocial birds like um, ducks and geese and chickens oh, where okay. they're kind of born ready to do a little bit more on their own. Right. right. Like they can kind of hit the ground running a little bit. So they get cute way faster. <laughs> but <laughs> the parrot, not so much. This mm. one. ooh. Oof, it's a bad look. <laughs> Baby parrots are not cute at all. I, I say that having only seen pictures. I'm I'm certain that if I was in a room with one, I'd be fawning over it, oh. right? I'm sure I would fall in love if I was actually there with one. But just seeing the pictures, no, it's hard pass from me. <laughs> so to wrap things up for the Dracula parrot, their conservation status is vulnerable, mm-hmm. according to the IUCN Red List. So their beautiful, brightly colored feathers are very valuable 
I mean, you look at him, you're like, that's a gorgeous feather. So these feathers are really valuable for ornamental use on regalia for indigenous people in New Guinea. Okay. Um, specifically headdresses. Mm. So if you've ever seen headdresses that indigenous people wear, they're usually covered in these really brightly colored feathers um, that usually come from like birds of paradise or more common birds that you'll find in the area. But with these being like really, really bright red feathers, if you can get your hands on them, they're very valuable. So in order to find a balance between preserving cultural heritage and conserving the parrot species with like more sustainable practices, the Wildlife Conservation Society of Papua New Guinea says on their website, this, this is a quote from their website, they said, we have developed a protection kit comprised of naphthalene mothballs, paper and heavy duty plastic sheets with instructions to improve the preservation of the headdresses through enhanced protection against mold, mouse and insect damage. The rationale behind such an initiative is that it is in the interest of the owner to avoid the cost of replacement feathers and maintain the overall condition of the headdress, hmm. right? So rather than trying to tell people, hey, stop using the feathers, the approach is more like, let's just make sure that the headdress you have is going to last longer and you don't have to replace the feathers that are on it. I thought that was an interesting initiative. I sure. I like the finding the middle ground, right, between like respecting what people are already doing and finding a more sustainable way to allow people to continue doing that, right, rather than being like, no, don't do your thing. Right, because your other options are import something else or something synthetic and yeah not yeah. necessarily an option right so I, th I thought that was an interesting uh, initiative not a lot of action items i can provide there although they are sometimes illegally exported for like pet trade don't do that <laughs> seems ill-advised don't do that this this bird is so loud <laughs> they're loud and uh, don't do that the only action item i can say is don't buy them i guess <laughs> Because I feel I looked up so many like videos and stuff and on every video I could find about these parrots, the comments were always like, oh, I want one. Where can I buy one? Sure. And it's like, well, don't. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the Dracula parrot. Well, thanks, hon. Ooh, spooky. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Really appreciate having you along with us for this spooky, very Halloween episode. Here's your treat. <laughs> if you like what you've heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review. That would be really nice. We would like that. Um, you can connect with us also. We're on all the social medias, you know, wherever you are. Even the TikTok. Even TikTok. That's right. Um, so if you would like to come hang out with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, TikTok, just search our title. I'm sure you'll find us. We're on there. We're mm -hmm. not hard to find. We're also very friendly. <laughs> <laughs> so don't be shy. Don't be a stranger. Mm -hmm. Come hang out with us. We would love to hear from you. If you have an animal species you'd like to hear us review, you can get those to us via email. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. We would like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. And thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network with all of your other fantastic, amazing shows. Thank you. Yeah, if you haven't checked those out yet, you can do so at MaximumFun.org. Trick or treat! Got nothing. We have to have some sort of spooky Halloween sign-off. <laughs> <laughs> Just the boo of us. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.